Gracious Father, we do thank you that you are the God who is everlasting to everlasting. Uh, you have no beginning and no end. Uh, you are perfect in all of your ways. You need not change with culture shifting sand. Uh, we can trust in you always uh, because you are perfect. Uh, and Father, we thank you that we can open up your word, which is your revelation to us, for us to learn and to be fed spiritually uh, so that we would walk uh, as we should. Uh, and Father, as we continue on in this section of Ephesians, as we consider being spirit-filled uh, and how that affects um, our submission in everyday uh, things, uh, we ask that you would teach us, uh, guide us, uh, prepare our hearts to receive your word, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so if you have your Bibles, open up to Ephesians chapter 6. As we continue on in this uh, three-part uh, section, which is, is the third part, as you know, uh, we began this uh, back in verse 22 of chapter 5 as we took a look at um, uh, God's keys to a long-lasting marriage, as we took a look at uh, what God commands the wife in a marriage um, you know, uh, covenant before God, realizing that marriage is God's design. It is not a human institution. It is a godly one because God, uh, as he took a rib out of the side of Adam uh, and formed Eve, uh, he gave um, Adam a helper, someone that would be his companion, someone that he would walk through the rest of his life with, uh, was the very first marriage that we see scripturally. Uh, as we read, you know, a, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife. Uh, and so we saw that uh, in verse 22, wives are supposed to submit to their husbands as to the Lord, uh, and that husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Uh, and we see this sub submission is all under the context of verse 21, where it talks about us submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Uh, as each and every believer submits to God first and foremost. Uh, and when we submit to God rightly, that will affect all of our horizontal relationships. Um, and we've taken a look at marriage, and today we're going to take a look at two more as we finish out uh, this section, uh, as we think about the Spirit-filled submission in everyday life, realizing that the only way that this will work, the only way that God is glorified in such a way where we receive a blessing and benefit uh, is when we actually are spirit-filled, um, because that is the one, uh, the Spirit himself uh, gives us the ability to do what we need to in order to uh, put to death our selfish desires uh, and bring to life uh, those things which first is a love for God and then a love for others. And so with that said, as we take a look at verses 1 to 4, we're going to take our first few moments to take a look at children submitting to their parents. And in this section of these uh, four verses, uh, there's two things I'm going to bring out this morning uh, as we take a look at this, is that children have the responsibility to obey uh, and parents have the responsibility to train. Uh, and so uh, as we consider that this morning, um, let's again look at verses 1 to 3, where it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. 
So that word obey in Greek literally means to listen attentively. Okay, and that's different than just hearing something. So as I talk to children here, which um, again, as we uh, look at this contextually, children are those that are still under the authority, under the roof of their parents. Um, You never cease being a child to your parents. Uh, But as we take a look at this obedience, um, it means to heed or conform to a command or authority. Uh, And as we saw earlier in the relationship between the husband and wife, um, you'll notice there it says, children, obey your parents, so listen attentively. Don't just hear what they say, but listen to it for the purpose of conforming or changing yourself to meet that. And it says, how? In the Lord. And this is key. Again, we go back to that the initial premise, that initial um, context of the fact that we first and foremost submit to God. As believers, you know, we are submitting to God in his ways uh, and we are dying to self. Um, Christ must increase, um, I must decrease. Uh, And so even for children, as they seek to obey their parents, this means that they're supposed to obey for the Lord's sake uh, because of who God is. Uh, and to rest in his hands uh, as you submit. And the question then rises as to why. Well, the text tells us. It says, it is right and there is a blessing. Um, This word right in Greek means to preeminently uh, of someone whose way of thinking, their feeling, and acting is wholly conformed to the will of God. So in other words, there is an initial surrender of yourself as a child to your parents uh, that is a submission to God first and foremost, because that's the right thing to do, because God uh, in his wisdom has created roles within the family so that the parent is over the children. Uh, The children are not over the parents, and some children, you know, uh, have a tendency to dictate to their parents how everything's going to be. But we'll talk about that in a few minutes, and that's the responsibility that the parent must do in order to train the child. The children do not know better. Uh, They are still learning. They still need to be disciplined. They still need to be guided. Uh, They need to be uh, taught uh, just as you were taught. Uh, And so uh, this, you know, why do it? Because it's the right thing to do because it's part of God's design. Again, family is not just... Uh, something that man came up with. It's not just a result of biology. Um, This is actually part of God's design as we took a look at it, even in relation to marriage, uh, is that God wants godly offspring as two believers come together as husband and wife. Uh, And so uh, underneath of that, guys, we have children, uh, you know, rightly uh, changing their thinking, their feeling, and their acting because they desire to submit to God himself. Uh, And that's something we can even see in relation to Jesus, because Jesus obeyed his parents. You know, yes, he was the son of God, but he still had earthly parents. We read in Luke 2.51, you know, and this is after Jesus was in the temple, after, you know, Mary and Joseph had left, and all of a sudden it came to realization that Jesus wasn't with them. Uh, And so they go back uh, to Jerusalem looking for him, Uh, And it says, and he went down with them and came to Nazareth, and he was submissive to them. Again, even Jesus gives us the example of a child submitting to his parents. Uh, And so children, 
you are to obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And then what Paul does is he brings in there in verse 2 the importance of honoring your father and mother, which is a quote out of Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 16. So Jesus isn't, you know, disconnecting the, the, the New Testament and his coming from the Old Testament. What he's doing is he's showing, you know, this is what the Old Testament says, and therefore this is how uh, it should be uh, integrated into your life even today. It says there, honor your father and mother as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is given to you. And as you look at those commandments, it's the only commandment to family. And that's something I never really you know, connected until I studied for this sermon, uh, is that this is a commandment to the family, that the children are to honor their parents. Uh, and you know, there is a promise here in relation to the land uh, but, it, there, you know, we, we are not going to be given a land as the Israelites were, but there is by principle uh, a, a good thing here. It says that your days may be long. Well, think about it. As a child, as you're learning what to do and what not to do, hopefully choosing to listen and obey your parents uh, as the authority that God has set over you, uh, their role being the parent, your role being the child, uh, is that when you are an obedient child, you will avoid the dangers that would shorten your life. You know, and this is why, as we're going to look in this next section, if parents training their children, you know, that discipline is necessary, it is important, because if children don't understand the need to listen and to obey their parents, then sometimes the cost is very high. Uh, and so as we speak to the children, realize is that when you listen to your mother and father, when you honor them as God has commanded you to do, then there is benefit from it. Um, it doesn't mean your parents are always going to make every decision the right way. They're still learning and growing as well, but they are set over you as an authority. Uh, they are set over you to guide you and direct you. Uh, Paul in Colossians 3.20 said, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. So if you want to do right in God's eyes, realizing as a, a child, and in particular because we're talking about believers here, that if you want to please God, obey your parents. And do so in the Lord because it's the right thing to do and it pleases God. So children have the responsibility to obey, but parents have the responsibility to train. That's still not the right slide. They must be out of order. Oh, did they already move it on me? Well, I'm, I'm not in the right place. There we go. It is the right one. They look too much alike. I guess I need to do a little better job of uh, making them look different. So the line right there underneath it says, it says parents have the responsibility uh, to train. Uh, that brings us to verse 4. Um, it says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Paul in Colossians in the parallel passage, uh, verse 21 of chapter 3 says, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. 
So this, you know, I, I say parents have the responsibility to train because this word father can be used of both the mother and the father. It's not just the father's responsibility to not provoke their children to anger uh, because mothers can do the same thing. Uh, and again, remember, we go back to the whole picture of marriage, the two become one. Okay, and again, the overarching theme, uh, which Kurt didn't give a chance to ask you this morning, of Ephesians in this section is unity. Uh, and so parents should be a unified front in relation to training their children. Uh, and, you know, as they uh, love one another, as they love God, then they'll be able to do right by their children, even when they do push your buttons even when they do for the third time the same thing that you have already told them not to do and discipline them, and they're still doing it. Um, the thing is, is we are called to continue to train our children. Uh, and that's part of, that's why it's called parenting. You know, you're not just a, 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 an adult figurehead. Um, children need parents. They need to be taught what is right and what is wrong. So what does it mean to provoke and what can ignite it? Well, it means to trigger irritation, resentment, or displeasure. Let me say that again. To trigger irritation, resentment, or displeasure. Now, the thing is, you are communicating biblical truth to your children. Does that mean that your children, even if you do it the very right way and do it in love, are going to receive that? Well, that's outside of your control but you are still commanded and tasked to, to be the one who trains your children in the way they should go. And the thing is, is that how, does he, how can you provoke them to anger? How can you ignite this you know, uh, anger in yourself as well as you know, cause the relationship between your children and yourself to be strained? Well, that can be, you know, come to be through favoritism. If you have multiple children and you favor one over the other, you can even see a biblical example of how that turned out uh, in relation to a brother who had a coat of many colors and how the rest of the brothers didn't like that brother. Um, you know, so favoritism can be something that you, know, you can provoke or ignite in your children uh, irritation or resentment or displeasure. Um, overprotection, uh, where you're trying to not just guide them, but you are basically picking them up as if they're a pawn in a chess game and placing them every move, every direction, every day. Uh, again, you have to remember they are children. Um, they don't know better. They need to be guided. Uh, but you can't go to the point of overprotecting them because, again, you can ignite this displeasure in them so that they may hear what you're saying but never are listening because you can see it in their face. You know, if you ever discipline your child and they look at you and you, you know that they're still being disobedient because you can see it in their eyes, even though their mouth is saying, yeah, I'm going to obey you. But, uh, you know, that's the thing that we need to make sure is that we're not creating that, you know, dysfunction. Uh, again, they are individual little people, uh, but they still need to, uh, to be trained. Um, maybe through unrealistic expectations, you know, sometimes we try to live, you know, you know in, uh, as a proxy through our children to do and to be the people we weren't when we were their age. Uh, and so you put unreal, unrealistic expectations on them. Uh, and that can put a lot of pressure on a child. 
Again, they're still learning. They're still trying to engage. They're, they still have all of the peer pressure that comes into their life. And so they need an anchor, um, but they don't need that anchor to take and pull them down to the bottom. Um, it can be through excessive demands, demanding too much. You know, again, uh, you're not even perfect. And sometimes as parents, we can demand more of our children than what we demand of ourselves. You know, do as I say, not as I do. Um, see, that's not being a guide. That's not being a shepherd. That's not training your child. Uh, that's just you being a boss that's lording over your children. Uh, and there's a difference. Um, you can provoke this through neglect. You're so busy with work. You're so busy with everything that, you know, uh, you have in the world that you've created for your livelihood that you neglect your children. So they don't even know that you're their parent. Uh, and that's a dangerous place to be as well. You need to, to be a part of your child's lives, uh, but not have your child's life dominate yours so much that you can't be the parent. You still need to guide and direct. Um, you can cause this through manipulation. Um, you know, and manipulating a child to do something, um, you know, by bribing them. You know, bribing good behavior um, is not a good thing to do. Um, you need to discipline them. You need to guide them. You need to tell them the reason why you are disciplining them, the reason why you are saying you cannot do this, because there are consequences. Uh, and continuing to do it just so you're not manipulating them in some way or through abuse, whether that's verbal or physical. Uh, again, all these things factor in, and these are all things that can provoke or ignite this irritation, this resentment, this anger that can well up in children. Now, you can do everything right and still have an angry child. Again, that does not remove you from continuing to train them, continuing to show them the truth in love as you, you know, submit to God first and then within that family realm, do what you're commanded to do. You can even see this sometimes in homes where one child will, will you know, um, I heard it um, said that one uh, uh, child is in the Bible all the time, the other child is in the bottle all the time. You know, and could that be a result of failed parenting? Maybe, but it doesn't have to be. Again, they're still individuals. Your responsibility is to train them. That's why in the text it goes on to say, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Uh, Proverbs 13, 24 says, Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Uh, and actually, the, the, the Hebrew can even allow you to say, who loves him disciplines him early. So again, it's never too soon to start disciplining your children. Um, you know, even from a very early age, I mean, you don't need to teach them to disobey. You know, we joke about how, you know, you know the parent is, you know, causing their child to act this way. That's not the case. You see the sin nature working itself out in a toddler. Okay? And I've used this example before. Put two boys in a room with one truck and see what happens. You know, chances are that the truck is going to be a dividing piece. Uh, and one of the kids is probably going to get hit with the truck. Um, so uh, 
again, we, we need to make sure that um, our children are trained to obey. They are trained to honor their parents by their parents. See, again, children don't know what is best. And you see, with, even within our culture today, you know, uh, even in relation to the whole gender issue, where they're saying, well, the, the child needs to, to figure out what gender they are. No, they need to be told what gender they are. They need to be trained because we have the word of God and God has told us that there are two genders, male or female, he created them. Okay, and so the way, only way that their child's going to know is if you teach them the word of God. Because again, the word of God should be guiding and directing you in your own individual life, but also as a parent of children. They need to be trained to obey, trained to honor their parents. So instruct them, be an example to them, guide them, encourage them, teach them who they are in God's eyes. You know, part of the identity issue is the fact is that, you know, children don't know that they have been created in the image of God unless they're told. That God made them different than the rest of the animal kingdom, and therefore they, there is characteristics that they have that the rest of the animal kingdom does not. Tell them who they are in God's eyes. Teach them what is right and wrong and that there are consequences to the choices that they make. Don't lie to them. Tell them the truth and, and do so from an early age. Talk to your children. Teach them to take responsibility and don't feed their selfishness. Again, you can do that through manipulation. You can do that through other aspects where you're actually being counterproductive to really what you're, you know, hopefully the goal is, is to train that child up so that they can actually, at one point, leave from underneath your roof and live in this world. And know this, someone is going to train your child. The question is, who's that going to be? Is that going to be you as their parent, teaching them who they are in God's eyes, teaching them what is right and wrong and that there's consequences to the choices they make, sometimes good, sometimes bad? Do we teach them to take responsibility for their actions, for the choices that they make? Do we encourage good behavior and discipline bad behavior? You know, some think that it's not right to discipline a child because you're going to you know, affect their, their ego and their self-worth. No. Again, discipline does not always mean striking a child with the rod as we, we you know, read in Proverbs chapter 13. But make sure that you're not doing that discipline in anger. Tell them why. Why am I disciplining you? Why is there right and wrong? Again, you go to an authority outside of yourself. You go to the word of God. Because again, family is God's design. Godly offspring is God's design. When we deviate from that, when we deviate from how God has commanded and shown us scripturally as to what we're supposed to do as parents to our children, then you know what? Our children are going to turn out some way because someone's going to train them. Their peers in school are training them. You know, the people that are their teachers in school are training them. 
not necessarily always what you would train them if you were the teacher. Sometimes you have to speak and insert truth because they've been told a bunch of lies while they're at school. Guard them against temptation from their own sinful flesh and the sinful world in which they live. Make sure that you rightly discipline, never in anger, always in love. You know, as I disciplined my children, you know, one of the lessons I had to learn was, you know, one who struggled with anger to make sure that because it was the third time that they did the same thing that I disciplined them for, and they're doing it again, to make sure that I sit them down and talk to them before I do any type of, you know, uh, spanking with a, you know, uh, an intent to correct them that way. Because again, the goal is for them to learn. The goal is for them to turn out and be trained in such a way that they honor God through their actions. And sometimes the discipline can come just from the talking. Sometimes I had, you know, chosen that, you know, okay, you've, you've pushed the, the final limit uh, and the talk was enough to help them see because the Spirit was convicting them and bringing them to repentance. Because we need to see that we are advocates to our children for God. If you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, a passage that you are very familiar with, um, in verses 5 to 9, where God said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. So again, the phylacteries that they would have worn, which would have had the, the commands and the law of God in them, is a, re, a visual reminder on their hand and on their forehead of who God is and what God commands them to do. Verse 9 says, You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates, so that even after you're gone, even after the Lord takes you home, the things that you have taught your children will still be on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. It will be a constant reminder of, you know, the legacy you want to leave for your children is a legacy that is first and foremost before God. Because there's a day coming where they're going to stand before God themselves. And the question is, did you train them to know who God is and to, to, to tell them that they are sinners in need of a Savior? You know, one of the things that Michelle and I do as we pray you know, each night before we go to sleep is we pray for the salvation of our grandchildren. And praise the Lord, every one of our children know the Lord and are walking with the Lord. But that's not a given. You have to pray and continue to pray and continue to live in light of who God is to you so that they can continue to see that example, not just in, oh, well, that's just what my parents taught me, but I never saw them live it out in their own life. Again, you're the example. You're God's advocate. So make sure that you are being faithful first because that gives you an authority to be able to speak the truth into their lives. Otherwise, you're just a hypocrite. 
He reminded me of the passage in Joshua 24, 15, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Okay, you have to choose what your house is going to be like. Are you going to let your children raise you, or are you going to raise your children? Even Jesus, in Luke 2.52, it says, Jesus increased in wisdom, so he increased in his intellectual discerning, and stature, so his physical maturity, and in favor, which means relationally good-willed before God and men. So Jesus Christ, you know, as a perfect example of an obedient child. Now, our children have a sin nature, but that does not remove the responsibility for us to train our children in the way they should go. So children have the responsibility to obey. Parents have the responsibility to train. See, specific roles with specific obligations. God's design. We should not deviate from that. Then lastly, um, as we take a look at the third thing here in this spirit-filled submission in everyday life, it takes us to verses 5 to 9. As employees submit to their employers. Let me read the text here, verse 5. It says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. So in biblical times, slavery was a common part of society. Um, it is something that there were many slave owners that mistreated their slaves uh, and only saw them as property to be owned, uh, to do whatever they pleased with. Uh, there were others that treated their slaves well and saw them as part of their extended family. But know this, you know, I'm not here preaching a sermon on the, you know, you know, against slavery or for slavery, because Paul is neither condemning or confirming slavery here. Um, he's not defending it uh, uh, or condemning the legitimacy of slavery. His focus here, again, within the context, is that of submitting in everyday life. Um, the nature of a Christian's labor within the workplace, whether they are slave or free. And you'll notice in verses 5 to 8 that he has their obedience seen in light of three aspects uh, that I want to share with you this morning. Um, First is their demeanor or or their behavior towards their employer. Because notice there uh, in um, verse 5, Um, It says, slaves obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart uh, as you would Christ. So stop there because this speaks to their demeanor towards their employer. 
So in other words, they should honor their employer. They should respect their employer. They should be genuine before their employer um, because they should not be hypocritical and see it as if they were working for Jesus himself. And that's the key. So as an employee of some employer, unless you're the employer himself, and if that's the case, you are under God himself as an employer who has employees underneath of you. But as an employee of a company, uh, underneath of an employer, uh, the principle here, which I believe is, you know, in relation to slaves and um, masters in the text, which we can use as employees and employers today. So honor, respect, and have no hypocrisy as if you were working for Jesus himself. Second is their obedience seen in light of their devotion towards their employer. Um, This is their commitment, and you'll notice there as we pick it up in verse 6, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Um, So what does that mean? What does that look like? What is this devotion? It's not just keeping up appearances so that your boss likes you, but being the same individual who is honoring, respecting, and genuine as if they're working for Jesus himself so that when the boss isn't in the room, when the boss isn't looking, you're still the same individual because you're committed, because you're submitting to God first. God is the one to whom you have to give an account. Even if you're under a bad boss, again, that boss will still have to submit to God whether he's a believer or not. Because every knee is going to bow one day. So not just keeping up appearances so the boss likes you, but working even when the boss isn't looking as if you are working for Jesus himself. And third, there's the desire towards your employer. This is their attitude. It says, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is slave or free. So what does this mean? What does this look like? Don't complain about your boss, your workload, your work conditions, your coworkers, your pay, your benefits, or the amount of taxes withheld. But do your work as if you're working for who? Jesus himself knowing that he will reward your faithfulness as well as your righteous attitude and actions. See, God is going to take care of you when you do things his way, realizing the roles within even your work sphere, employer to employee. I like what Charles Spurgeon said. He says, grace makes us the servants of God while still we are servants of men. It enables us to do the business of heaven while we are attending to the business of earth. It sanctifies the common duties of life by showing us how to perform them in the light of heaven. 
See, God can give you the grace to do what God is commanding you to do, even within your workplace, even if it is a workplace that is not worthy of your honor, your respect, or your genuineness, or your your commitment so that you work the same whether the boss is looking or not, even when all your coworkers are sitting down and doing nothing, looking on their phones while the boss is out of the room. Again, you always see yourself under God first and foremost, which rings true in in Colossians 3.17. And whatever you do in word or deed, so uh, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So it doesn't matter if you're at work or in your home or wherever you are, you do everything in both word and deed to Jesus Christ as if you're working for him, because you are, because you're part of his kingdom. You're working towards his kingdom, therefore under Christ. So Christian employees should always be the better people, as well as those that are doing the best work. Because you are living in light of an eternal reality under the everlasting God who is from everlasting to everlasting. The God who sent his son, Jesus Christ, because he loved you and and showed his grace upon you. See, you don't divorce your spiritual life from your physical life. They are unified just the same. So your, your salvation is impacting every aspect of who you are whether it's you individually before God, whether that's you in a marriage relationship with your spouse, or if that's you in relation to your family, or if that's you in relation to your business or your job. Every aspect. There's no aspect in which God cannot pour into your life something positive, something that is going to make you stand out from the rest of the world. So much so that the world's going to hate you. Your coworkers are going to hate you because you work when the boss is not around while the rest of us sit here and do nothing. But see, the thing is, you're doing it as unto the Lord, first and foremost, and therefore honoring God and honoring your boss. But Paul didn't stop there because he didn't want employers to feel left out. Uh, because there's expectations even for employers. So if you own your own business here and you have those underneath of you as a Christian, uh, employers should have the same attitude towards their employees. Uh, And so what does that look like? Well, a Christian employer's desire should be to obey and do the will of God from the heart, just like it is for employees. They should have a desire to be those that lead with goodwill as to the Lord and not to men. They should be individuals that do uh, whatever is good so that he will receive back from the Lord. Again, realizing that you are submitting to God first and foremost. Okay, God's at the top. Everyone submits to God. And therefore, as an employee or employer, you should act these same ways. Um, It's not different rules because we are all serving the Lord. We're all submitting to the Lord. He should treat his employees as to the Lord, which means that, you know, he should not, as the text says, threaten them. 
you know, don't threaten them, but instead create and encourage an environment for them to be productive and successful because you are reflecting Jesus Christ into their world. And if you are threatening or belittling or not showing that you are redeemed to your workers underneath of you, then you've missed out on a blessing, but you've also misrepresented God himself. You have pushed aside what God has done through Christ to be just like the rest of the world. Christian employers should stand out. And unbelievers should want to work for Christian employers. Because if they're doing what they're supposed to be doing biblically, they're the very best bosses you could ever have. And it concludes saying, remember that God is both your employer's master in heaven as well as yours. So again, the context is Christian employer, Christian employees. And remembering that who's the master? God is. Yes, you have a role as the the owner of the business and the employer, just like the employee has a role within that sphere, but you all answer to God. God is the master over everything. And he is the one who is the impartial judge of everyone, no matter their position in life. No matter if you're the employer, the employee, the child or the parent, the husband or the wife. The one who is master over all is God himself. That's who we submit to. And so you see these specific roles with specific obligations. So don't be different when you leave Ellington Baptist Church. Who you are when you walk through the doors of Ellington Baptist Church should be the same as when you walk through, you know, opening the door to your business tomorrow morning. So when your employees start arriving, they see Jesus Christ. Whether you're the employer that's getting up, you know, at whatever time to be able to go in and to, you know, punch in and punch out, you should be a ref- a, an employer that is reflecting Jesus Christ to your employer, whether he's a believer or not, as well as to your coworkers. That if you're a child here this morning, you are to obey uh, you know, your parents in the Lord because it's the right thing to do. It pleases God. And that's your role within the family. Just as it's the role of the parent to train the child. And that within the, the, the marriage you know, covenant, which is God's, where one man comes together with one woman and the two become one flesh and are united, when you open up the door of your house, when you go home after being at church today, you have the opportunity to reflect Christ to your spouse. So again, there's no area of your life where you can say, I should not be reflecting Christ, or, you know what, I don't have to be that Christian in this realm. Because you're denying who Jesus Christ is in your life. And he should impact every aspect of who you are each and every day. And again, remember, remember that the only way this effectively works is when you're spirit-filled. You cannot do it in the flesh. Because the flesh is weak. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Spirit gives birth to spirit. You need to do it within the power of the Holy Spirit and submit God as the head and in everything else on a horizontal level as God has designed in the roles and responsibilities within the marriage, the family, and the work. Amen?
Amen.